Ruth Bryant is 100 years old, and she lives in an assisted care facility in Roxborough, North Carolina. Last month, the local police of Roxborough came into her facility and placed Ruth under arrest. They put her in a squad car and brought her downtown, took her mugshot, gave her an orange jumpsuit, and put her in jail. And you might ask, what possibly could a 100-year-old woman living in an assisted care facility have done to get placed under arrest? Well, the answer is pretty simple. She put it on her bucket list. (laughs) Ruth said in her century long of living, one thing she had never done was be arrested. (laughs) And so the local police obliged her. And afterwards, of course, they gave her the mugshot and the jumpsuit as a souvenir and brought her back to her home and celebrated with a more traditional cake and presents on her birthday. This idea of a bucket list is pretty common in our world and our culture. It's not unusual for someone to say, oh, that's on my bucket list. And by that, they mean it's an experience they want to have or something they want to accomplish before they, quote unquote, kick the bucket, (laughs) The thinking that often I think spurs it on is this idea that, well, you've got a limited amount of time here on earth, and it's anybody's guess what happens after your time here, so you better experience all you can, accomplish all you can while you're here, and get all you can out of life. It brings me to what I want to talk about this morning, because when it comes to this topic of heaven, I think there is a secret that many people keep but often don't want to talk about. I think there's a secret that many people who actually believe in heaven, who believe that through their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, that there is life after this life, that death is not the end and they'll be in heaven. There's a secret they keep, but often don't talk about. And that's this, that many people believe there's a heaven, but aren't sure that they want to go there. Or at least aren't sure, more accurately maybe, that they want to go there today. Or that they want to go there now. Uh, How can that be? That someone who could believe in heaven not be sure that they want to go there. It reminds me of the Sunday school teacher who was teaching her elementary school children. And she asked the question, now boys and girls, raise your hands if you want to go to heaven when you die. And the whole class raised their hand. Of course, uh, well, almost the whole class. Everybody except one boy in the back named Tommy. And so she said, Tommy, you don't want to go to heaven when you die? And Tommy said, oh, when I die, sure. But I thought you were getting up a load for today. (laughs) And there's humor in that. But the kernel of truth that makes it funny is the truth is many people who believe that there's a heaven aren't sure that they want to go, or at least maybe aren't sure they want to go today. Someday, sure. I mean, the idea that there's a heaven is comforting to me to think about at the end of my life when my time on here is through, that there's a heaven to go to is comforting. It's comforting when a loved one who has their faith and trust in Jesus passes on to think that, yes, now they're in God's presence and they're in heaven. It's certainly a comforting alternative to a diseased and decaying body that doesn't work the way that it used to work. The idea that to pass from this world and to move into heaven is comforting. But someday, yes, but not today. Today I have things to do. Today I've got people to see. 
heaven someday. Why is it that there's this tension? Why is it that someone who can believe in heaven cannot be sure they want to go there? And maybe that's you. You know, maybe that's you that you you feel that you have this thought in your mind and your heart that you don't voice to anyone. In fact, maybe you don't even say it out loud because you feel so guilty about it. But there's this thought that you believe in heaven, but you're not sure you want to go. I think there's uh, a few reasons why this tension exists for us. Two good reasons. And then a third reason that I'm going to call not a really good reason, but a real reason. And, and here it is. So there's two, two good reasons why I think we, we sometimes feel this tension of, of, yes, believing there's a heaven, but also kind of wanting to stay here and not sure we want to go there, at least not sure we want to go there today. And the first good reason is this, because this world that you and I live in was created by God for you and it's good and it, you weren't designed to die. Now, sure, there there is things in this world that are painful and that are hard that are a result of disobedience and sin and, and all those things that came in. But ultimately and originally, it was designed by God for you. And life is a gift from God that he gave you. And you weren't designed to die. We see this truth if we go to the very beginning of the story, the very beginning of scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 This is what it says, in the very beginning of creation, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so from this, we get two two truths. One is God had created the garden and the earth for humanity, and it was a good gift to them. And two, that they weren't designed to die. That was a result of disobedience and sin. And so certainly it would be natural. It's natural for us to cling to that good gift of life that God gave to us. And it makes it hard for us to want to leave. It's why end-of-life decisions are often really difficult, even for people who are believers, Uh, especially, frankly, in our time of medical advances and medical technology. It's become even harder as I've seen families have to navigate this. Often they're stuck between two really hard and almost impossible decisions. Do they let their loved one pass on and then possibly live with the guilt of not doing everything they could to keep them alive or... Or do they do everything they can technologically and medically to keep them alive and then live with the reality of what that looks like and means for their life? And it's difficult and it's hard and it's painful at times. And those aren't easy decisions. And they're ethical and theological things that come into play. And and, and the only reason I bring it up now is to say that one of the reasons that's so hard for us because the gift of life is a good gift from God. Because many of the things on this world and this earth we've received from God as gifts. And so we we have a tendency to want to cling to them, the relationships we have. And those are good gifts. And so that's one of the reasons why even though we know there's a heaven and we want to go there, that still we have a draw here. But secondly, the second reason is because there is good work that God has given you to do here. Good God-honoring work that can only be done here. 
There's good work. It can only be done here. There's work that you can do on earth that you'll never be able to do in heaven. And there's a tension you feel because you want to do that work. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, he brings about this tension that he felt. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse um, 21. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. And maybe if you were thinking, well, how could any person who follows Jesus and believes in Jesus possibly, uh, you know, want to stay here rather than go to heaven? Well, Paul says this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Do you catch what Paul said there? Paul says, Paul says, I am hard pressed between the two. Between what two? Between wanting to go and be with Christ and between wanting to stay and do the good work that God has called them to do. I'm hard pressed. There's a tension there. I want to go, but I want to stay because there is good work that I need to do and that I can only do here on earth. And it's true for you too. There's, worth, there's work that you're only going to be able to do here on earth. You are only going to be able to tell people about Jesus for the first time while you're here on earth. Because the Bible says in the new heaven and the new earth, the knowledge of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. You won't be able to tell anyone about God and Jesus there. This is your only time. And so Paul's saying, I've got work to do here. There's necessary work. And so even though I want to go there, there's something that pulls me here. And it's true for you too. The more and the closer you get to God, the more you're going to want to do this work for him. And you're going to feel this tension. You're going to want to stay here, even though that you know that there's a heaven and God uh, waiting for you there. So these are two good reasons why we often feel this pull here because the earth has been created by God for us. There are good gifts, gifts of life, gifts of love, and, uh, and you weren't designed to die. And secondly, because there's good God-honoring work for you to do here. But the third reason, I'm going to call not a very good reason, but a real reason that oftentimes we keep this secret and don't talk to people about it, is this. You don't know what it'll be like and you're afraid that it will be less enjoyable. You don't know what there will be like, and you're afraid that it'll be less enjoyable than here. See, it's hard to get somebody to leave a place that they like. Ask any parent who's had their kids over someplace playing with friends or playing with their cousins and tried to get them to leave. You know, you shout out, hey, kids, time to go. And maybe you get a response that says, Oh, Father, I was just waiting for you to beckon and call. I was listening and waiting for your command. And, and I am ready to go at a moment's notice for you. That's not what you get. I mean, at best, you get a, Oh, can we get five more minutes, please? At worst, you get a tantrum that wakes the neighbors. <laughs> Why? Because it's hard to get people to leave a place that they like. And I think there's something, there's a reason for us. We, we like things here and it's hard to forget us to leave a place that we like. And so we're afraid sometimes and it's a fear that maybe we won't like it quite as much. It's hard to get people to leave a place that you like. 
Also, it's the, I think, the poor pictures of heaven that we often get given to us by uninformed people who have no interest of telling us the truth or giving us a biblically accurate picture. Uh, you know, we get our pictures from these places and they're often uninformed and uninterested in giving us what's truth. It'd be like asking someone who has never left the New England states, you know, what, what, what a state in the Midwest is like. You know, they've got no interest and they've got no knowledge of it. I don't know. I'll leave it to Pastor Brian to tell us how much the Midwest is like heaven or not like heaven. But, but the point is, often we get our information from places that are not helpful. And so we have poor pictures of heaven. And so we're afraid maybe we won't like it. Maybe it won't be as enjoyable there as it is here. Also, I think one of the very big fears is we're afraid it might be boring. We're afraid it might be boring. Let's be honest. I'll be honest. I'll say it, but you might be thinking it. Because you don't know what it'll be like, but it's going to be like that forever. And you're afraid maybe it won't be enjoyable. Maybe it'll be boring. Are we going to just stand around in choir robes and, 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 and just sing and, and, and the whole time? Because I can do that for a little while. I'm not sure I can do it forever. But this is the thinking. We have this fear. We have this fear that we don't know what it'll be like. And we're not sure it'll be as enjoyable. It's like when I go to a restaurant. You know, I go to a restaurant. They put the menu in front of me. And if it's a restaurant I've been at, nine times out of ten, okay, 9.9 times out of ten, I'm going to order something I ordered before. Because I knew I liked it, especially if I liked it. And I'll read the whole menu, but I'm probably going to stick with something I know I like rather than risk something I'm not sure I like. And sometimes we feel that way about heaven. That I'm going to go, I, I know I like this, but I'm a little afraid that I might not like that. And so we have these reasons for maybe why this tension exists in our life. And two of them are good, and two of them will not be resolved. You are going to live all your life with the tension that there are going to be good things in this world that have been created by God that you love. And uh, one day when you die, that you'll have to leave. And, and, and that tension is one you'll live with. And you'll have to live with the tension that there is God-honoring, God-pleasing work that you can only do here and that you won't be able to do in heaven. And you'll live with this tension of, of wanting to stay and do this work even though you may want to go. But this third one, this fear, this fear that, well, I don't know what it'll be like and I don't know if it's going to be enjoyable. I don't think that's a tension you should live with. I don't think that's a tension that I should live with. I think that's a tension that should be resolved and I think it can be resolved by understanding one statement that is true about heaven and revealed in many places in Scripture and in many ways, but I'm going to give it to you this way. Here it is. Heaven is where the one who knows you best and loves you most lives. And it has been created by him. Heaven is the place where the one who knows you best and loves you most lives. And it has been created by him. See, first and foremost, the most important thing about heaven is God lives there. This God who, who knows you the best, who created you, who loves you the most, he's there 
And, and, and he's with us here in a sense, but not in the same way. We've seen a mirror dimly here, and one day we'll see face to face, the scriptures say. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God's presence will be there. It says in the new heaven and the new earth when they come down, and Pastor Brian is going to unpack a little bit of what that means for you next week in this kind of part two of this heaven series. But for today, I just want to pull out of that scripture that it's the place where God dwells, the place where the person who knows you best, the one who knows you best and loves you most, that's where he lives. But not only is that where he lives it was also created by him. And this for me, this is, my, this is the most exciting thing for me and the biggest uh, convincing argument of why you and I should not only uh, you know, believe in heaven but long to go there because the God who knows you best and loves you most created it. And the God who created every good gift that you enjoy here also created heaven. So, so James chapter 1 verse 17 here. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And here's what James is saying. Every good thing that you've experienced on this earth is a gift from God. When you stood on that shoreline and you watched the sun rise or you watched the sun set and your feet were in that warm sand and you felt the sunshine on your face and you in that moment said, well, this is good. That's a gift from God. When you looked in the, in the eyes of the one you love and made your vows on the altar and you said, this is good, that is a gift from God. When you look in the eyes, maybe of that, uh, the face of that little baby like Jessica and Will did this week for the first time, looking at their son Liam, and they see that beautiful gift, and that is a gift from God, because every good gift and every perfect gift is from God. Every gift you receive with no guilt and no shame, every pleasure you experience with no guilt and no shame is a gift from God. And that God, that God who created that loves you who knows you best and loves you most, lives in heaven, and he created it. It's like this. Have you ever um, walked in the house and somebody was cooking something, and, and before you even get in, barely get in, they say, oh, close your eyes and open your mouth. Close your eyes and open your mouth. And what you do next depends solely on your relationship with that person. Because if I walk in the house and Wendy says, oh, close your eyes and open your mouth, and I know Wendy knows me, loves me, cares about me, and also is a really good cook, no problem. I'm going to close my eyes, open my mouth, and receive whatever gift she is going to give to me. But if it's a stranger, no way. I don't think so. Or if it's someone who knows me but doesn't have my best interest at heart, in fact, maybe is hostile towards me, Nope, 
I'm not opening my mouth, closing my eyes for that one. Or if it's someone who knows me and loves me, but maybe isn't a good cook, (laughs) I may not be opening my mouth and closing my eyes for that one either. But here's the thing with God. He knows you. He loves you. And he has this ability. He created heaven and every good gift and every perfect gift that you've ever received in your life is a gift from him and you receive it from him. Do you really think heaven is going to be less than that? Do we really think that heaven is going to be worse than every good gift that he has created for us here? It's like those home makeover shows you see and they go and they make over a house and at the end of the show, the family says, oh my goodness, this is so perfect. This is so great for our family. Well, how did they do that? Because at the very beginning of the show, they took the time to get to know the family, to create a space that they would love because they know them because they care about them, and they have the ability to do that. And heaven is no less that. You have a God who knows you best and loves you most, and he created this place. Do we really think it's going to be less than that? See, I think also we need to understand that sometimes we misunderstand God and pleasure. The truth is that every good pleasure, everyone that's without guilt and shame, every good pleasure you and I have experienced has been created and given by God. Now, Satan twists pleasure and makes it into a place where we can be tempted towards sin, to abusing it, to misusing it, to abusing other people and, and other things in our, in our pursuit of pleasure. But the ability to experience pleasure is a gift from God. And we sometimes misunderstand that. We settle for so much less sometimes than what God wants. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes has this idea about us settling for things in this world rather than things in the next world. And he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And what Lewis is saying there is, look, don't misunderstand those good gifts from God. They're from him and you. There are so many greater gifts that he has prepared for you. Finally, last thing, I I think that will help us embrace this idea that heaven is the place where the one who knows you best and loves you most lives and it has been created by him. Finally, remember what praise and worship is. Praise and worship is a response to a stimulus that is before you. Praise always comes as a response to a stimulus. Think about it this way. Maybe you're into cars and you go to a car show and and you tell your friend over, oh my goodness, come over. You see this one? Look how great this one is. Do you see the lines and the chrome and and, and how awesome? They don't make them like this anymore. What's that? That's praise. That comes about. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to try and do it. It comes about naturally. Or you see a video and you're like, you tell, send it to your friend right away. Have you seen this thing? This thing's hilarious. Or this thing's great. Or this thing's awesome. You got to see this. What is that? That's praise. And you didn't have to make it up. And you didn't have to try. And you didn't have to make it harder. It comes about naturally. Or you meet 
This person that you're going to marry, oh man, let me show you. You, you. Wait till you meet her. Oh, she is so awesome. And she is so, I don't have to make that up. Praise is a response to a stimulus that is before me. And when we talk about praise and worship in heaven, it's not something where you're going to have to screw up your courage and, oh, I'm going to have to stand in line and, and even though I don't like it, I'm going to be... No, 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 no. You are going to have the most praiseworthy being in the universe ahead, or before you and in your midst at all times and you are never going to run out of things. Hey, did you see this? Did you see how great... And I know you and I can't imagine that, but just remember, praise is response. It's response. It's not something you have to make up. Worship is response to who God is and what God has done. It's response. So remember, heaven is where the one who knows you best and loves you most lives. And it has been created by him. Finally, I'll give you this last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And I'll leave you this last scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Here's what Paul says. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's saying it can't even compare to what it's going to be there. Yes, there are things that are pulling you here. Some of them are good. Some of them are not good. Don't let fear Don't let fear keep you from wanting to be there. But the things that God has prepared can't even compare to what's, the things here can't even compare to what God has prepared. Finally, Mount Hope, listen to this. Don't fall for Satan's strategy. Don't fall for Satan's strategy. What better strategy for an enemy of God who wants to keep people whom God loves out of his presence than to convince them that the place of his dwelling is someplace that nobody in their right minds would ever want to go. That is a strategy of the enemy. And don't let Satan use it on you. So Lord, help us to live in the tension of appreciating all you have created in this world and the work that you have given us to do, but not be fearful about what comes next, but trust you with it, just as we have trusted you here. Lord, we thank you because you are the God. You are the God who knows us best and loves us most. And so we entrust to your care our lives here and our eternal life beyond this place. In Jesus' name, amen.